are listening to Conversations with Nathan Latka, where I sit down and interview the top SaaS founders, like Eric Wan from Zoom. If you'd like to subscribe, go to gitlatka.com. We've published thousands of these interviews, and if you want to sort through them quickly by revenue or churn, CAC, valuation, or other metrics, the easiest way to do that is to go to gitlatka.com and use our filtering tool. It's like a big Excel sheet for all of these podcast interviews. Check it out right now at gitlatka.com. Guys, mfiles.com, they help you uh, with document management. They help you share files, not only internally, but also with your customers so you can collaborate together. They've got over 5,000 paying customers, many of which or some of which pay over a million dollars per year. They've grown 25 to 30% year over year for the past several years, just breaking 90 million bucks in AR today, up from 75 million a year ago when they closed their Series C, 80 million, around 80 million USD. He was nice enough to share that 30 million of that was secondary, which is great for liquidity for early employees and investors. Now, 600 folks on the team as they look to build conservatively moving forward and break that $100 million run rate early next year. Hey, folks, my guest today is Antti Navala. He's the founder and CEO of a company called M Files, a global leader in information management. He started the M Files business in Tampere, Finland, and currently lives in Austin, Texas. The M Files metadata driven document management platform enables knowledge workers to instantly find the right information in any context, automate business processes, and enforce information control. Antti, you ready to take us to the top? Absolutely. So Finland was a start. Now, what year did you launch this company in Finland? Well, it's a um, it's actually a long history with um, starting with my father's company in the architectural engineering uh, business in um, um, way back. But let's say for me, the start was something around 2002 when we started developing the M Files products. I asked because I had my research team had two different dates: 1987 and 2005. So it sounds like you yeah. came in in 2002, 2005 timeframe. Exactly. Yeah. Interesting. And this was something that your father had built to use internally at his architecture firm before then? Well, that's how I got into business. Um, I was uh, watching my uh, father run his uh, AEC consulting company and um, I I did software as a hobby and I was very interested in just finding ways to apply my software development skills to real world problems. And uh, that's how I uh, landed on this idea of of um, how to make um, document management, especially in in complex construction projects, um, more more efficient. So that that got me into developing M files. And when you when you guys look at your customer cohorts today, do you still have a massive concentration around folks in the construction and architecture and engineering fields? Uh, not really. I I thought we would be targeting that vertical um, initially, but. Pretty quickly, we brought, uh, we went to kind of um, more generic um, business document management, and we have a good number of uh, engineering companies as our customers, uh, but it's it's not our primary vertical. I see. Okay, so give me a little bit of the story today, right? Tell me the story of a customer who's using you and exactly how they use you. Well, um, our ideal customer is a knowledge work company, so companies in the professional services vertical, especially companies like man- management consulting firms, accounting firms, tax advisors, um, audit firms, um, companies that um, deal with a lot of information. Um, they typically provide expert services for their clients. And for, for such companies, M-Files is really the operating system for them to run uh, run, run uh, their business. They take information in, they apply their expertise to produce uh, work outputs 
for their clients and then they well they use our platform to manage all of that and in an organized fashion and in a secure fashion but they also use our, our um, platform to share uh, those work products with their clients and to collaborate interesting so are they paying like if, if one architecture firm has 10 clients will they pay for a seat for each client and that's a key to you driving expansion revenue uh, we actually uh, charge by the seat of the um, seat of the employees um, in the firm. So let's say um, tax advisory firm. So the tax experts would be the M files users, and we we basically let them uh, serve any number of external clients. We don't charge by that. I see. I see. Okay. So when you look at your ideal sort of your sweet spot customer today, what would you say they're paying on average per month or per year for M files? Um, um, I'd, I'd say in the ideal customer segment, it's probably on average about fifty thousand um, in in ARR, so on, on an annual basis. Uh, we have a pretty broad range of smaller and larger larger customers, but that's uh, that would be the average. What I'm curious, what min you know averages are dangerous. What's what's min max? What's cheapest someone can start with you, and what's biggest customer? Yeah, right? um, we have a quite a lot of um, business through our reseller partners, and in that uh, kind of partner business segment, the um, um, the um, uh, typical annual um, prices would be a few few thousand dollars, let's say five k, um, and then we go up to our enterprise customers who pay um, well over a million um, per year. Oh, this is great! So you already have customers, individual customers, paying more than a million per year. Uh, yeah, several. This is this is right. This is one of the big things I see founders that are like 10, 20 million bucks in AR struggle with. But in order to get to 70, 80, 90, 100 million, you've got to figure out how to get a couple of customers paying that much. H- how did you do that? Um, it's been a fairly natural evolution for us, but I think part of it has definitely been getting to to know um, uh, our customers like true business problems better and understand where we offer the most value so um, we we continue to be on the on a journey of becoming more and more specialized and really serving those knowledge work companies well because that's where we provide the best value and and uh, those are the companies who can also then afford to pay most because, because of that value when a reseller sells M files for say five k a year, do you own the relationship with the end customer, or do you have to go to the reseller? Um, yeah, that's an interesting interesting question. Um, not sure there's a kind of a one straight answer. Um, uh, we let the reseller partner um, kind of own the commercial relationship with the customer as as much as they can and want. Um, we obviously um, have a direct uh, subscription agreement with the customer too, but for us, the partners are the um, front-facing um, um, uh, communicator to the customer. They provide the first level support, and we, we want it to be that way um, because that's uh, that's how we can be efficient for for the higher volume of smaller customers. So you 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 own sort of the credit card payment with, and the credit card payment doesn't go through the reseller. Uh, no, it does uh, go. So we do invoice. We invoice the reseller. The reseller handles payments with the with the customer. I see. Yeah. I see. Interesting. Okay. So if a reseller sells M files to their users for five thousand bucks, how much of that five k will the reseller keep versus it flows through to M files? You. Um, I'm not going to disclose the specific percentages, but something like thirty um, percent um, would be kept by the uh, partner. 
Interesting. How do you regulate and make sure that a partner doesn't price cheaper than what you guys have on your own website? Then nobody would sign up on your own website. They'd all sign up via the cheaper reseller who's running Facebook ads and adds that landing page. Um, our product is, let's say, unfortunately, a little bit more complex than something that you just, you know, um, pay and buy and pay by credit card. So I don't think that's a true kind of a real practical problem for us. We don't um, we don't enforce uh, pricing to the customers. So our uh, reseller partners would be uh, free to price lower if they want to. I, I don't think they want to do it because they they need to be in business too but if uh, some some of them might value you know those um, implementation services revenue more um, and might um, compromise on their on their um, margin on them on the on the SaaS piece that that would be fine and i i don't think it really um, changes things for us if if our customer wants to go through the the partners uh, we are more than happy uh, to let them do that I imagine a scenario where one of your sales reps is trying to close a $10,000 per year deal. And then they come back to the sales rep and say, sales rep, I just found this other reseller of M files. It looks like it does the same thing and they're giving it away for free. And then they go sign up for free because the reseller is effectively taking the margin hit on that. Do you see that happen a lot? And how do you prevent that from happening? Um, not a lot. And um, we try to take a partner first approach. So if we are actually working on the same um, prospects, we would let's say, give way uh, to the partner and rather support them um, in, in winning the deal. Because, I mean, the market is huge and there's, um, there are so many companies who, who, who need MFAS, who can benefit from MFAS. So our direct um, sales uh, teams uh, will have uh, other prospects to work on. And so, Auntie, with all that context around your go-to-market resellers, the structure, how you price, etc., how many customers are you serving now today all in? Uh, over um, 5,000 customers in total. Interesting. And and what percent of those came through a reseller? Um, it's about, uh, well, let's say, okay, uh, revenue-wise, it's about um, one-third. Uh, okay. But in terms of number of customers, it's much higher, um, at least 80%, um, probably uh, through, through partners. Interesting. So what that means is the higher ARPU deals are going direct to M files, the lower... ARPU deals, but higher volume go through the resellers. Yeah, yeah, generally so. And that's probably also why we don't have that much channel conflict because we don't necessarily compete for the for the same kind of deals. Interesting, interesting. So if we take 5,000 total customers times 0.8, right? That means what? You've got 1,000 direct customers that are more enterprisey and you've got 4,000 you've gotten through resellers, something like that. Yeah, that's probably the, probably the right ballpark. And interesting, super interesting. Okay. Um, Let's go into team a little bit. What's the team size today, and and, and uh, how many engineers? Um, we're about um, let's say over over six hundred employees, and I believe the engineering team is um, maybe um, one hundred and fifty. Are you an engineer by trade or no? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I am. Yeah, <laughs> that's awesome. Do you still get to code or no? Uh, too too little these uh, days uh, but i i did my best to keep doing that as as long as i ever could all right so 600 on the team 100 for the engineers how many quota carrying sales reps do you guys have um it's in the order of um 50 plus and are you is that the team you're building in austin um there's a good team in europe and there's a good team here, here in north america so it's uh, spread uh, across uh, across our regions we consider north america um, western europe and nordics our primary sales regions and then rest of the world uh, through partners only 
Interesting. Interesting. Okay. Very cool. Um, talk to me a little bit about how you're scaling the sales team, right? Everyone listening is going, man, I have 10 reps. I'm trying to figure out what quota to set for my mid-market enterprise reps in 2023. How did you think about quota targets? Yeah. Um, Right now, I feel we have, let's say, enough capacity in our sales teams that we don't um, want to just go and hire new sales reps. I think for our company, the challenge is to keep improving the um, efficiency or productivity of the sales team. I think over time, um, our sales reps can um, close more uh, ARR uh, per sales rep. So let's say we are very focused in figuring out how to best do that. Should we invest more in marketing? uh, How to be smarter in how we sell? And should we just increase our brand awareness in the US market to to help sales. But it's it's not so much about scaling the team size currently. It's about getting to larger deals and making sure that the time uh, the team spends with the prospects is is like well well spent. Makes sense. And so when you add the engineers plus the systems you've built plus the products that you've built, I mean if we take a thousand customers that you own directly at about a five a fifty thousand dollar ACV, that's fifty million in revenue right there. And then you said the customers you don't own directly because they're resellers make up about one third of your total revenue. So that's another twenty five million on top of that. Is it fair to say you're around a seventy five million run rate today? Uh, yeah, well, a little bit bigger than that. Um, we're about um, we're about just above ninety million in in ARR. So kind of like our our next focus, so we're obviously crossing that uh, nice hundred million mark. Not quite there yet, but getting close. You're doing obviously sort of Q4 planning and maybe closing out here shortly, maybe looking at 2023 already. When you go back and look at the goals you set at the beginning of this year, 2022, did you be is 90 million beating those goals or did you come under those goals? Uh, we're just at plan, which You're I think right is, up. Yeah, wow. which I think is is good uh, given everything that's happened this year. We could always um, want to exceed the plan, but being at plan this year, um, I think it's, it's impressive. Achievement. So if you're at about a 90 million run rate today, where were you exactly a year ago? Um, 75. Okay. Interesting. Okay, good. So, so healthy growth. I mean, I'm not, it's obviously hard to double 75 million year over year. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's kind of, we've never been a kind of a super growth company that I have to admit. Um, so it's been more of this, you know, 25, 30% growth in the, in the past years. Um, but, um, you know, sustaining that and doing it in an efficient, uh, manner, not, not, not really burning cash. I think that's kind of the profile of, of, yep. um, of who we are. And does that mean you finish 2020 somewhere around 50 million in ARR, five zero? Yeah. Okay. Interesting. Very interesting. This is very cool. Now, I guess I should take this back. Obviously, we don't want to track you all the way back to 1987 when your father first started. I don't even know when you were born, but when you joined the company back in 2000, I think you said 2002, what was revenue? Do you remember? Well, um, we were close to zero at that point um there's quite a lot of uh, history there that maybe we don't have time to to discuss today but yeah it's kind of like it, it was the starting point for us a couple of um couple of persons um starting the development of m files with the funding of something i had created a little bit earlier so that allowed us to be bootstrapped um for the early years so um so we did all of the development of the product in um, in the early years, just with the um, revenue of my previous product. And then um, we got all the way to 9 million in revenue before we raised our uh, A round in 2013. And what was that, the size of that A round? Uh, 6 million euros. Okay, so call it like 
seven. Well, back then it would have been higher, right? It would have been eight yeah, million probably US seven, dollars. seven, eight, eight. Uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah, something like that. Yeah. And then keep filling up the funding history for us. I think you did another round in 2016. Yeah, that was our B round um, again in euros. That was a 33 million euro, um, so maybe 36 million dollars um, B round. Um, we've done. We did a debt financing round in 2018 and 27 million euros and um and then a little bit opportunistically we did a, a c round um which we announced in january 2021 uh, that was a bigger one um 67 million euros 8 million mm-hmm. uh, usd and most folks at series c stage especially raising last year when things were so hot i mean there were people selling just 5 to 10% of their companies in a series c were you sort of in that same average uh, yeah yeah um okay. yeah there, there, i guess the reason i'm asking is there's also a lot of folks you know a chili piper comes to mind capado comes to mind um coralogic comes to mind where these series c's there was a you know big chunk of them 50% of them were secondaries um, was your was that eighty million that you raised U.S. dollars? Did that go on the balance sheet, or was a bunch of that secondary as well? Uh, yeah, there was some secondary there. Um, we, as a, as a company, we didn't necessarily need additional funding at that point. So our, our way of thinking was that yes, it's good to get additional buffer into the business, but it also was also an opportunity to offer liquidity for some uh, earlier investors and uh, earlier co-founders or employees who had already left them left the business. So um, yeah, um, to be to be even more precise, we used uh, about 30 million of that AT uh, for for secondary. And thanks for sharing that. Founders are always asking me how to structure these and how do you how, I mean, how do you get investors to say yes, auntie, you can take 30 million off the table? Uh, it, it wasn't difficult at all at, at those times, probably the same experience with others that investors were very eager to invest in our business. And since uh, we were cash flow positive or cash flow neutral, so like the business didn't really need a lot of additional capital. So they're really the only sensible way for investors to be able to to um, put more in. money in is to um, is to us like so how how could that be used and not, none of us um, who stayed stayed with the business were that interested in selling uh, any but yeah it's it's a different thing if you've already left the business early on like with our longer history that um, some some uh, people had left so I, I I think it was a really good good arrangement for for everybody investors could put a little bit more in and uh, those who had left them left the, the business earlier were able to get liquidity and auntie 67 million euros back then caught 78 79 million us dollars selling five to ten percent i mean you were flirting with that billion dollar sort of valuation on a post money basis but it sounds like you didn't get above that is that accurate uh, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm not willing to share the actual valuation, so you can speculate <laughs> as much as you can. But, um, but yeah, uh, we're leaving that to the market. Um, Why well, I did ask you earlier if you sold the average in a Series C, which is five to ten percent, and you seem to agree. So if you sold the maximum amount of ten percent, that would put you, even you raised eighty million USD, that'd put you at just under a billion valuation. The reason I'm asking is markets have compressed since then. Right. So, so how have you dealt with the storyline to your? I mean, this is across all companies. How have you dealt and that storyline to your user, your customer, your found, your employees that are saying, "Hey, are we doing another round? You know, in the next six months, is valuation going to go up? How do you manage that?" Uh, yeah. Um, well, first of all, just to be clear, I'm not confirming that um, your your range is is actually actually correct. Um, but um, let's say, generally speaking, 
I don't think we did anything at the high valuation. We we did uh, we have done all of our funding rounds with the mentality that we want a clean structure, like clean terms for the company and uh, fair market valuation um, for the investors and us, because that keeps us on on that track of um, increasing in valuation as as our business grows. And I think that's what has happened to us. So maybe we've avoided some of the hype peaks, uh, but the benefit of that is um, is that uh, everybody can focus on just growing the business and and um, understanding that um, valuation keeps increasing. So um, yeah, I, I, I feel very good about the, the terms and rounds that we've completed. And I actually, um, I mean, I mean that you're, you're after something really important because it's not necessarily an easy situation for a company to, let's say, succeed to raise money at the peak of the valuations and then have to deal with the potential downsides of that um, if, the, if and when sometimes the multiples also compress. Yeah, you, you're, you're a conservative. The reason I ask you, you're a conservative founder, which I love, right? You, didn't, you had 75 million bucks in revenue. It sounds like you didn't go try and raise at a, you know, a 50x multiple, right? Maybe you raised at a more conservative, realistic 20 or 30x multiple, which today now you look like a genius because all the people that raised at 40 and 50 and 60x multiples are down and you're yeah. growing, right? Your valuation, you can tell a growth story there. So, yeah. you know, I love how you're building the company. Uh, I appreciate making time for me. We're out of time though. Let's wrap up here with the famous five. Number one, favorite book. Uh, yeah, for me, it's one of the first ones I read as a business book, Jim Collins, uh, good, good to great. That appealed to me. Number two, is there a CEO you're following or studying? Uh, not, not really, not really. Um, Number three, how, uh, what's your favorite online tool for building M files? Well, yeah, I thought you might ask that, and I have to say that as a software engineer, there's really nothing that beats, you know, the dev environments like Visual Studio and Git, and that maybe not like the traditional online tools you would get as an answer, but those were, those are my favorite environments. I know we like variety. Number four, how many hours of sleep do you get every night? Uh, seven and a half hours. Okay. And situation, married, single kids? Um, married and two kids. Two kiddos. And auntie, how old are you? Uh, 11 and nine. No, no, you, you. Oh, sorry. Um, uh, 44. I'm like, you look great for, I mean, 11 years, <laughs> 44. <laughs> All right, auntie, last question. Something you wish you knew when you were 20. Um, yeah, I, I was very product and engineering focused. So I guess I should have known that there's so much more than just building the product that you need to do. <laughs> Guys, mfiles.com. They help you uh, with document management. They help you share files, not only internally, but also with your customers so you can collaborate together. They've got over 5,000 paying customers, many of which or some of which pay over a million dollars per year. They've grown 25 to 30% year over year for the past several years, just breaking 90 million bucks in AR today up from 75 million a year ago when they closed their Series C, 80 million, around 80 million USD. He was nice enough to share that 30 million of that was secondary, which is great for liquidity for early employees and investors. Now 600 folks on the team as they look to build conservatively moving forward and break that $100 million run rate early next year. Auntie, thank you for taking us to the top. Thanks, Nathan. It was a pleasure.